0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Are you planting potatoes? Our favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, has some tips about choosing the right potato varieties, also how to cut and prepare them for planting, And she offers a couple of good reasons for growing your potatoes in containers for ease of harvest and to thwart any diseases that could spread to your tomato or pepper plants that might be in the same garden bed. And the plant of the week is a shrub that's a real show for the nose, the Daphne. And that's a great choice for a dry, shady area. Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum tells us all about it. It's on episode 91 of the Garden Basics podcast, Brought to you by SmartPots, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. <music> the Garden Basics Podcast. We like to tackle your questions. A lot of ways to send them. You can email them in to fred at farmerfred.com. You can leave us a text or a voice message. Just give us a call at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. Also, you can leave a message vocally without using your phone if you use SpeakPipe. It's speakpipe.com slash Basics. Give it a try. You might like it. And especially when we talk with our favorite college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, a lot of people are getting into potato planting mode. And Melody writes in and says, I'm attaching a picture of some sad potatoes that I forgot about in my garage and they are sprouting. I've been wanting to try growing potatoes. Can I just use these and just plant them? Oh, Melody, I wish we were talking to you live because we would have questions for you. Are those store-bought potatoes or are those seed potatoes? Because there is a big difference. And uh, Debbie Flower, for your own information, I'm looking at the picture of these sprouting potatoes Mm -hmm. on Melody's uh, workbench here. And one of them does have sort of a uh, blackish patina on one side of it. That blackish patina might represent of fungus you wouldn't want to plant that potato because it would spread that fungus to your soil plus you only want to take eyes of potatoes that are seed potatoes because grocery store potatoes may have that fungus so you want to use certified seed potatoes so
1: let's say they are seed potatoes what do you do you can plant them if you have seed potatoes that have sprouted you can plant them you could just plant the whole potato but what's usually recommended is to cut the potato in pieces and make sure each piece has one eye with it. The eye being the node and the node has the bud in it. Uh, it's often recommended that you either let them sit for 24 hours. Potatoes are very wet. And if you put them in the ground immediately when they cut, you've cut them, there are natural... Funguses and bacteria in the soil that would love that moisture, glom onto it, grow, and potentially turn your your little uh, potato cutting into mush. So, if you let it sit for 24 hours, the exterior of that part of the potato that you're going to plant that contains an eye will dry out a little bit, and that will prevent fungus from occurring. If you need to plant immediately, you get some soil sulfur, you cut your potato into the pieces, each with an eye, and as much of the potato attached as you can based on how many cuts you've made in that potato, and shake it in the soil sulfur. Sulfur is very acidic and will uh, prevent funguses and bacteria from growing.
0: And I imagine there would be no harm when you're cubing that potato uh, into eyes to include maybe two eyes per cube.
1: Right. The smaller the pieces you make, so the more... Eyes you cut out individually, the less food that that eye has to live on until it gets itself established. The rest of the potato has lots of nutrition in it. Uh, as we know, we eat potatoes for that purpose. So the bigger pieces, yes, it'll have two eyes, but maybe one won't grow. Or, uh, but just having that extra potato attached provides the eyes with that much more nutrition. So that they have time, something to live on, something to eat, basically, while they get the shoot up and the roots down. I would cut it in half... From top to bottom. So from the skinny point, from end to end, if you laid it sideways, it's sort of an egg shape or an oval. From bisecting that oval in its longest dimension, at least do that. And then I'd probably cut those in half also. Oh, okay. That's good size. So have four pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I have never gone to as small as one to one. I've gone two inches by two inches. An interesting thing about potatoes, as I said, potatoes are stems. Okay. This is a science moment. Potatoes are stems which is why they can turn green. Things like beets are roots and they cannot turn green, but potatoes can and because they're stems. And if you, at one end of that oval, there are many eyes close together. And if you look down the potato, the the eyes get further and further apart. The end with where the potato's eyes are close together is the growing end. And had that potato remained in the ground and been healthy, that stem would have grown out from that direction. But you can start at that end and find out that the eyes are in a spiral around the potato. The end where they're close together, it's sometimes hard to figure out the beginning of the spiral. But I've had students take a marker and find the spiral, and then they spiral around and down the potato to the other end.
0: So which way when you plant that piece of potato should the eyes or the sprouts be facing? Or does it matter?
1: It's not a big deal. The the plant will find the upright for the stem and the down for the root. But if you have some control, and I imagine you do, I would point the eyes up.
0: All right. And how deep should you plant these pieces of potato?
1: Well, the rule for planting and for almost everything is two to three times the diameter of, of what you're planting. That's a little hard to gauge because we're using different potato sizes. But I would cover it with, what would you use? I would cover it with just a couple of inches of soil. Yeah, I'd say two to three inches deep. Okay. And hope for the
0: best. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Planting a, a potato whole would be much like planting a head of garlic, whole you end up with uh, more but smaller uh, product
1: yes and crowded plants don't produce as well I have seen that jungle because for me once a potato patch it's always a potato patch because I (laughs) always miss harvesting something which I don't realize is there until it starts to grow the next season and then I have that jungle yes
0: Well, now that brings up another interesting question, since potatoes, and correct me if I'm wrong, are members of the Solanaceae family, would you want to avoid putting tomatoes or peppers in that same bed?
1: Yes, if you're doing crop rotation, which is an excellent thing to do, but you have to have the space to do it, or the time, you skip seasons with things, yes, you don't plant Solanaceae plants, plants in the same family in the same spot as they were last year so the solanaceae family is a popular one for growing outdoors because it's tomatoes potatoes eggplants tobacco which is is a fun plant to grow whether you use it or not it's still a fun plant to grow they're all in the solanaceae and you don't want to plant a solanaceae where you planted a solanaceae last year
0: And so the thought then of having a bed dedicated to potatoes may not necessarily be a good idea, especially if you start seeing a decline in those potatoes year after year, you might want maybe two beds for potatoes and alternate the beds. And then in the off year in one potato bed, you might uh, solarize it.
1: Yes. Or there are lots of techniques for growing potatoes in containers Mm -hmm. uh, because they they're easier to harvest. (laughs) when they're grown in a container or grown in a straw bale, something something along those lines. It, a, a, a straw bale, in my mind, although I've never done it, I've just read about it, seen it, seen other people do it, it takes more effort to produce a healthy crop because you don't have a lot of... It isn't very similar to field soil. It drains differently, has different nutrient holding abilities, different water holding abilities. Etc. So, but if you get used to it, that could be a really great way because it's easy then to stick your hand in the straw and pull out the potato. But stuff like that is done in containers as well, where there are mm-hmm. lots of drainage holes and straw is used or lightweight media is used. And as the potato grows up, remember the potato's a stem, so as the potato grows up, the plant grows up, the green stems grow up, you throw in whatever it is you're using, your medium, and cover the stems and then you get more stems, more underground stems and those are the edible potatoes and because it's in a container you can dump it all out and harvest that way or you can reach in through your lightweight media and find the potatoes very easily. Harvesting potatoes is a thing of its own (laughs) there are even tools called potato forks but I always ended ended up impaling the potatoes with such a structure, such a tool so growing in a container might be an easier way to do it yeah, you can just dump the container Right <laughs> at and, harvest time. <laughs> and if you have used, which you shouldn't, but if you have used one of those grocery store potatoes that has the fungus on it, you haven't contaminated your soil. What you do with the media you grow in could be a little tricky. You either have to put it in a hot compost pile or solarize it or let it set idle for certainly a year uh, to hopefully quell that fungus. But once you've got fungus... I swear when the earth... I shouldn't swear. When the earth uh, apo- uh, does whatever it's going to do, let's say it freezes or it totally catches fire or whatever, fungus spores are going to survive. They're known to be able to survive fire. They're known to be able to survive freezing. So if you've added them from the grocery store, you're probably never going to get rid of them, even if you grow in a container.
0: Even if you solarize the soil?
1: Because they're in, if they're in their spore phase funguses can survive that they can survive that those high temperatures
0: debbie downer i
1: know yeah
0: Uh, but anyway potatoes are fun to grow and uh, like you say it's the hunt job at, at harvest time and how do you know when it's harvest time since they grow underground
1: when they start to flower you don't want you don't want them to flower because flowering takes food out of the stem as i've said multiple times the potato is a stem it's a modified stem it's a stem modified for storage of food so that the the plant can uh, live off of that food if necessary and when it goes to flower it takes food out of that potato so when it starts to flower that would be time to start to harvest but you can harvest anytime
0: yeah there would just be di- probably just different sizes really
1: different sizes right those little potatoes yeah. little boiling potatoes or whatever they're called would be what you'd get in your first harvest, your small harvest. You'll find them at the end as well because they're being produced over time. Uh, And so the stem potatoes produced first will be biggest and the others will will be smaller. As far as uh,
0: the potatoes you grow, can you use those as seed potatoes the following year?
1: Technically, yes, you can. You're cloning the plant. You're basically taking a stem cutting. And so you'll get what you... You'll get the same potato that you grew the previous year. If you use your potato as a seed potato, you want to be sure that it hasn't accumulated any disease problems. And that's tricky because when you buy a seed potato, it has gone through a laboratory testing and they can do things in that laboratory that we can't do in our backyard. So I would recommend that you go buy a new seed potato.
0: All right. The uh, Master Gardeners of Santa Clara County have a nice page and we'll put in the show notes about growing potatoes. And they point out that the potatoes usually mature 90 to 120 days after planting. It depends on the variety. You can harvest a few at a time, leave the rest until you're ready to eat them. And. When you rob the potato plant for smaller, more tender potatoes, be careful not to damage the plant. You know, that makes plenty of sense. Uh, Like you said, don't stab them. Right. (laughs) You don't want to do that. And they point out to harvest remaining potatoes when the plants wilt and turn brown.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's what I was initially going to say. But flowering certainly interferes with the size of the potatoes.
0: Do you have to keep them covered as the plant grows? If if the if the tubers um, are, near the surface. are near the surface, do you add more soil?
1: Yes, depends what you want. If a potato grows and it's a stem, it's not a tuber. But uh, if the potato grows near the surface and turns green, then it will start to grow its own uh, stems. You know, those eyes on that potato will germinate, and you will get another stem that it, uh, in that location. And if that's a good thing, if it's feet away from the, the main stem, then maybe you want that. Maybe you don't want that. That potato then will decline and will not be one that you'll be able to harvest. I would think
0: that any uh, potato that's exposed to light may be rather bitter tasting and you can see the telltale green area. Can you Can you cut out that area and eat the rest of the potato?
1: The food safety people say don't. Okay. But I've done it many times. <laughs> and you're still here. <laughs> and I'm still here to talk about it. What's happening when the potato's a stem, when it's exposed to light it can turn green. The green is chlorophyll formation. Plants will only produce chlorophyll when it benefits them. And if it if you cover it up, that chlorophyll will potentially go away. The plant will break it down, it's valuable the chlorophyll is made of things that are valuable to the plant for other reasons and so we'll break it down and use the contents of the chlorophyll for something else. So all you're getting technically is chlorophyll, but stem has now become active is actively growing and when it's actively growing it also produces besides chlorophyll something called solanine and solanine is a chemical that can cause bitterness and in high quantities is poisonous. So that is why it's recommended that you do not eat a potato that has turned green. The green is only chlorophyll, but it it does mean the stem has become actively growing, which could mean it's producing solanine, which in high quantities is poisonous. Well,
0: before we wrap this up, I would like you to expand upon your Don Quixote uh, uh, persona of explaining why a potato is not a tuber, it's a stem.
1: Certain plants produce underground parts for storage, so that they can live over from year to year. That's why we have perennials. Most plants we know use their roots and store food in their roots so that they can survive the hard times. But other plants have specialized structures in which they store the food. Uh, Bulbs. An onion is a bulb. Tubers. uh, What's a tuber? A yam is a tuber, uh, I believe. And stem pieces, modified stems. Iris is another thing that has a modified stem. And... It doesn't look like a potato because it's not related to a potato, but it is a modified stem. But that fat part that travels underground, rhizomes, Bermuda grass has modified stems. They're not particularly thick to our eye, but in the grass world, they are thick stems that travel underground and hold food so that the plant can grow bigger and survive rough times and come back from it because it has stored food to live on. Are you saying that Bermuda grass doesn't have rhizomes? They have
0: modified stems?
1: Rhizomes are modified stems. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Rhizomes and stolons are names for other modified stems. The iris has a rhizome. And rhizomes typically travel horizontally underground. So Bermuda grass rhizomes travel side to side. Iris rhizomes travel side to side. They're near, fairly near the surface. But the potato stem is just formed off of the side of another stem randomly in location. And it stores food so that if something major happens to that potato plant, it can regrow from that potato. The things that distinguish a stem from a tuber or a bulb, the, the easiest things to see are the that fact that the stem can turn green, which a tuber and a bulb cannot, uh, and a stem can has eyes or, or nodes on it that will, will uh, grow leaves and stems from that spot, which a bulb does not. If you look at an onion, if you cut it in half from top to bottom, you'll see what is in cooking, at least the cooking shows I watch, they call it the core. The core of the onion is the actual stem. And it's a arc shaped thick structure at the bottom of the onion. And at the very bottom on the outside, you'll see a flat spot with some thick hair sort of on it. Those are the roots. So in a bulb, the, uh, it's actually modified leaves that are attached to that strange stem. And if, it, if an onion grows, if you ever find one in your pantry that grows and cut it in half, you will see that the stem of that onion that's growing out at the top actually started from the stem down the core of the onion, down in the bottom. It, it didn't come from the leaves. The leaves are modified to hold food. So, I don't know if that's clear. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was,
0: it was, <laughs> but... Uh, I just think you have an uphill battle convincing people that
1: potatoes aren't tubers. Well, I think yams are tubers, beets are tubers. You can grow a, a yam. My mother used to do it all the time with toothpicks, hang it in a jar of water on the kitchen uh, windowsill. Mm-hmm. There was always a yam growing there, and they can be grown ornamentally, and they can be grown in the in the Sacramento garden. They have to, ha- in order to do that, they have to have a bud at the end of the plant where the tuber was attached to the plant is a yam the same thing as a sweet potato yes technically no but (laughs) what we call a yam and a sweet potato are the same thing okay so and they are tuber and if you look at them you don't see that spiral of eyes around them if you see an eye it's going to be at one end one of the skinny ends that's where the plant was attached that's where the tuber was attached to the plant and if you grow it like my mother did on the kitchen windowsill Uh, Any buds are going to come out of that tip. They don't have that spiral of eyes all the way down and around. Did she plant them? No, we lived in New Jersey. I guess we could have grown them in summer, but they would have died in winter. She just did it, I don't know, to make herself happy, I guess.
0: Okay, all right. Well, her last name was Flower. Flower. (laughs)
1: <laughs> not originally. No, not originally, but but why not? But she right. grew up in, uh, she was very poor as a kid. And so I imagine her I, Her dad was a blacksmith and they had chickens and they had a field of strawberries that we would go help harvest. And he literally sold them at the side of the road. Yeah. So
0: you have farming in your genes.
1: Yes. On both sides.
0: Well, we've learned a lot about potatoes today. Debbie Flower, thanks for your help on this. Oh, Oh, pleasure. Grow potatoes. They're fun. We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And Smart Pots clicks all those boxes. They're durable, they're reusable. Smart Pots are available at Independent Garden Centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com/fred. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Here on the Garden Basics podcast, we like to chat with Warren Roberts, the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. He knows his plants, and there are some plants that some of them are putting on a show now. Some of them are just good plants to have wherever you might happen to be. And Warren likes to choose the plants with the uh, widest range that most of you listeners uh, will be able to put into your garden. And Warren, uh, for the for this episode, uh, you have uh, d- decided on the Daphne odora, the winter Daphne. And that is one of my favorite plants. It's an evergreen plant and uh, very drought tolerant after it's established.
2: Yes, uh, it is, especially if it gets uh, afternoon shade in, in our Mediterranean climate in California. It is a fairly hardy shrub. It's a fairly wide range in the U.S. for being planted. It's originally from China. It is, though, tricky. It's worth the trouble, though, because the fragrance is one of the best of all plaid fragrances known. It's delicious. It's uh, like jasmine and orange blossoms uh, together, or even better. There are 12 different selections of it. The most common one grown, I think, is the one called... Aureomarginata, which has yellow borders on the leaves. The leaves are, are look kind of like uh, bay leaf, they're about that shape, but don't mistake them because they're very, very bitter to taste and they're poisonous. The whole genus Daphne is poisonous. For that reason, it has some species, like Daphne bolua of the uh, Himalayas, has been used to make paper and the bark, to, uh, the fibers in the bark, to make twine because. Nothing eats it. Nothing rots it. So these ancient uh, Tibetan Buddhist documents, uh, one reason that they've lasted so long is they're made of paper made out of a, out of a daphne, mm. and there are about fifty species, mainly. Europe and Asia. Europe has 17 of them. And this includes alpines as well, which do bloom later in, in the spring and in the summer when the, when, when the snow recedes. The other Daphnies, though, don't have... Some of them are really beautifully fragrant, spicy fragrances, but they don't have the really seductive fragrance of Daphniodora. odora. Now, Daphne odora and the other Daphnies, you have to be careful with their roots. When you plant them, you do not want to touch the roots. You know, often when you take a, a shrub out of a, a container, you, you cut away the circling roots and, and so on. You can't do that with a Daphne. Uh, you can't do that with uh, with Bougainvillea either and, and any member of the poppy family. You really have to pretend that the roots are made of glass. Oh, my. <laughs> so you dig the hole deeply uh, uh, so that the soil is friable. So it really likes good drainage. And then you plant it so that the that the the top of the root ball is above the surface of the soil a bit. So when the soil sinks down, you don't get soil around the the, the so-called root crown, uh, the lower parts of the stem, because that would that would kill the plant. Uh, since they are hard to grow, uh, some in some regards, the the thing to do is plant them in different parts of the garden. And I think in order to always have Daphne around, plant one uh, every two or three years. In a different place, and then you have a better chance of of having that that wonderful, seductively perfumed shrub. These fibers in the stem are very, very strong. And sometimes when they're in bloom, I am out in the arboretum and I see where someone has tried to pick one, and you see this mangled oh. stem with this 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 uh, dying branchlet off to the side. But it, it and it smells bad when you when you the foliage and the stem don't smell very good. It's kind of like cashmere bouquet in that regard. Okay. <laughs> so, it's it's worth growing. It's worth taking the time. Now, if you have horses and livestock, maybe not too good idea to have mm, it around. Yeah. Because it is it is quite quite poisonous.
0: I think it's Uh-oh. it's an excellent yeah. container plant. The Daphne odora only gets maybe what four feet high, maybe a little bit higher, and about six feet wide. So for a large container on the north side of the house, especially uh, here in California, and you leave it alone, it does fine. And it, I think most Daphnes die from too much summer water. They actually mm-hmm. don't require very much water in the summertime, and uh, it, it is a, a great plant for dry shade in that regard. Yes, yes, it is. But you, it, uh,
2: it is from an area, though, that does get summer rain, so you do have to give it some, some water for it to survive. Oh, and yeah, pepper. yeah. I remember seeing a, a daphne. It was out on the street side in in the parking strip that uh, nobody was taking care of, and, uh, and it was uh, here in in Davis. And for years and years, it was just doing fine. Then we had a drought, and it died. No, so you have to. It does need some some water in, in the in the dry season. We have a relative of daphne actually native to California. It's called Durka, dirca d i r c a. And it's a, a very attractive little shrub. just found right around the, in the San Francisco Bay area in the hills. The others, the Daphne's of the mountains of Europe, are really uh, a hot, tough in, in colder climates
0: and, and worth growing for sure. The Sunset Western Garden book, which is not known for its sense of humor, did say this, though, about the winter Daphne. Quote, So prized for its pervasive floral perfume that it continues to be widely planted despite its unpredictable behavior, it can die despite the most attentive care or flourish with little attention until you invite all your gardening friends over to admire it, at which point it promptly succumbs without warning just to show you who's in charge. That's pretty clever Clever. and very unusual for the Sunset Western Garden book and a little sarcastic. The winter Daphne, Daphne Odora and uh, a lot of the other Daphne varieties that can do well throughout a wide variety of climates. Check with your local nursery and see what variety of Daphne that they might carry. Warren, let's talk a little bit about uh, the University of California, Davis Arboretum. Uh, The COVID-19 situation has put its annual plants sale in uh, sort of an online situation, and this might be something for those of you who are listening to the Garden Basics podcast, say within 50 miles or so of Davis to take advantage of, is the online plant sales that are going on during April and May at the UC Davis Arboretum. It's a rather ex- uh, extensive list of plants, isn't it, Warren?
2: Oh, yes. There's hundreds and hundreds of different things that are mostly grown right here in the Central Valley of California with with its uh, challenging climate and, and water. So yes, so many different kinds of things, shrubs, perennials, even a few trees,
0: succulents, um, it's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful list of plants and you can get it online. Find out more about the online plant sales going on there and the times of the sales and uh, what you have to do to pick them up at the uh, Arboretum website, which is arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, the plant of the week, the Daphne. Thanks so much for that. You're welcome, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by SmartPots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments.